With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We apologize for the technical difficulties. In a moment, we'll play for you a pre-recorded show that is about health and wellness and education. Our special guests are Dr. Autumn Saxon-Ross of the Joint Center for Politics and Economics here in Washington, D.C., and Wilson who is a 12-year-old 7th grader, also here in Washington, D.C., and they will share their perspectives on health and wellness in education and why equity in health and wellness is an important part of that conversation. Wilson is a triathlete. He's, he is a lacrosse player. He is a soccer player. He is a uh, black boy living in Washington, D.C., and has some incredible experiences that he will talk about and Autumn works with communities to make sure that they have access to green spaces and nutritional foods for um, their own health and wellness. So we're very excited to play for the, play this show for you today. We hope that you enjoy, um, and we look forward to the conversation that will play out. Make sure that you join us in the chat room. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Allison R. Brown, and make sure that you check out our, our website at Allison Brown Consulting. We have our blog there and other information for you. This is Know It All, the ABCs of education, a platform of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we empower our listeners with insightful information about equity in education. Welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. Listen in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern or at any time from your computer at blogtalkradio.com forward slash knowitall. I am your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC. I'm a civil rights attorney with a focus on equity in public education. Keep up with me on my website at allisonbrownconsulting.com and be sure to follow Know It All at blogtalkradio.com. Our topic today is health and wellness as justice in black and Latino communities. My guests today are Autumn Sexton-Ross, Ph.D., and Wilson, a 12-year-old 7th grader here in D.C. Dr. Sexton-Ross is the Program Director for the Place Matters Initiative at the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies here in Washington, D.C. Dr. Sexton-Ross has degrees in sociology, health education, and exercise science and has served as Health and Wellness Coordinator for Parks and Recreation in Montgomery County, Maryland, and in D.C. She's also been a physical education and health teacher in D.C. schools. Wilson is a triathlete, finishing first in about 10 total triathlons, competing in about 29 total. He also plays lacrosse, he fences, he speed skates, and he plays soccer. Phew. Good morning to you both. Thank you so much for being on Know It All today. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. 
So Autumn, why don't you start and tell us about what you do. What is Place Matters? So basically what Place Matters is, it's a it's a national initiative. And here at the Joint Center and um you know what uh we're starting to work on a lot more in public health is the role that policy plays in either promoting health disparities or eliminating health disparities. So Place Matters, we have 19 teams across the country. And what Place Matters does is it seeks to improve the health of these participating communities by addressing um, the environment, the natural, the built, and the social environment that actually lead to our poor, poor health. Um, and so what we do is we have community leaders in each of those 19 jurisdictions, and we provide technical assistance and skill building for them to address the root causes of these health disparities. And those root causes quite often come from policies um, and the places where we live, work, and play. So um, in these natural and built and social aspects of health communities, what are the barriers that you see to access to health and wellness in urban communities? Well, you know, it's 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 so funny. So what most people don't really realize, unfortunately, when we think about health, we think about individuals, right? So we think about what you either do or don't do um, to help you be healthy. So we think about what people eat or we think about um, if people exercise or not. But what we look to do at the Joint Center um, and with Place Matters is we take it a step further, and, and, and that's why we talk about the natu- the natural built and social environment, that it's not just what you do. What you do is influenced by where you live and how you live and what's in that immediate environment. So if I'm a child and I live next to, let's say, um, a coal-burning plant, Regardless of what I do, my health or my rates of asthma, if I'm a child in the community, is going to be affected by that coal-burning plant next to me. So if I am a young woman that would like to eat healthy and I live in an environment or in a ward here in Washington, D.C., like we have in so many of our communities, and you don't have access to a grocery store, regardless of what I would like to do or not, um, if that environment is not health-promoting, if it does not have that equal access to these resources that help us be healthy, regardless of what I want to do as an individual, um, you know, your environment really affects that. Most people don't know that 60% of our health and health disparities are actually determined by our environment. You know, it's that kind of nature versus nurture. And and so the, and so those are some of the things that we really try and um, address. So here in the district, there are plenty um there are plenty of issues that we have when it comes to access. So the easiest one um, to kind of put in your mind is to access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, we've made some strides uh, in Ward 8. Um, let's say about five years ago, there was one grocery store serving about 70,000 people. Um, now we have probably around four grocery stores in Ward 8, um, but that then leaves one grocery store per what? 18,000 people. Uh, So, you know, so those are some of the issues with access. One of the great things about the district, which is totally completely different than anywhere else in the country, is that regardless of what you look like, how much money you make, or where you live, you have equal access to green space and parks and recreation. But we then start to see the disparities and the inequality when it comes to what the facilities look like and the types of programming. So those are just kind of two examples of 
um, you know, some of the barriers when it comes to access uh, to promote health and wellness? You know, I first became aware of the need to be focusing on health and wellness as a community issue rather than as an individual issue from folks like Majora Carter and Van Jones who have really risen to prominence in the social justice community. And you, Autumn, shared with me the TED Talk of Stephen Ritz, who has a program to green the Bronx in New York. And so the environmental justice movement is really gaining traction as a social justice issue. Will you talk about some of those environmental justice issues and why they are important? Well, and and so when it comes to environmental justice, you kind of have so many um, kind of layers to it. Um, you know, I focus a lot more on access to green space and parks and recreation, and that can be a part of environmental justice. Of course, you have, you know, unfortunately, communities of color are more likely to be um, placed next to those with traditional environmental issues, so polluted rivers, brownfields, um, you know, city dumps, coal-burning plants. Um, and so environmental justice is a very large movement. And so what I kind of focus on um, is more of kind of the green space, but you know, one of the things that I've, you know, within this movement um, that is a little bit difficult, um, and I think with, with public health in general, is that it's hard for people to see all of these kind of contributing factors. It's very easy to say, hey, you know, that person's eating McDonald's three times a day, that's why they're obese. It's a lot harder for people to make these social and environmental connections, and that's one of the issues within environmental justice um, and within kind of this movement of saying parks and recreation is public health, right, or clean air is public health. Uh, and, and so that's what I've been kind of focusing on and a lot of people within the movement is how do we um, help people see those connections a little bit more easy so that we realize really that all policy, whether it's environmental policy, whether it's transportation policy, all policy is public health um, because it influences what you do, where you live, uh, and how you live. So speaking of making these policy connections, I have interviewed and spoken with several educators who work in under-resourced schools and neighborhoods and who say that their students are coming to school in order to eat. I remember one principal in Louisiana telling me that at her school where her students were 100% free reduced lunch recipients, she also had a nearly 100% attendance rate because students were coming to school in order to eat the free and, and uh, free breakfast and lunch that was being provided. So, you know, we hear about students coming to school malnourished and who have gotten no exercise and then having to try to learn algebra. Have you heard similar stories, Autumn? Yeah, and, and you know, my right out of college, my first job, I was um, a health and physical education teacher. Um, in Ward 7 here in the district, um, which I really uh, contribute a lot to my interest now because it really helped me um, get a better understanding of how where you live really determines your opportunities and your health. And um, I remember seeing kids coming to school eating, like, hot sausages and sour um, salt and vinegar potato chips at 8.30 in the morning, and these are elementary school students. And so actually being able to witness a child going through kind of like that sugar crash 
um, first thing in the morning. So I've experienced um, those things, and it's 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 very interesting how um, you know we expect our children within you know the education system to do so well without a basic foundation of the things that they need to be successful. So the basic foundation of just nutrition and being able to eat well, the basic foundation of having a healthy place to live, um, you know, the basic, you know, foundation and rights of being able to actually safely walk to school. Um, And so I think, once again, it's this kind of victim blaming. It's very easy for us to identify, oh, well, they didn't do this or they didn't do that. And it's a lot harder for us to understand those larger connections. So, you know, I've de- definitely witnessed it, and I think, you know, and that's why we preach so much here at the Joint Center, policy, 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 um, you know, and, and having those larger place-based investments. But what we also have to realize is that it has to be, um, that's where that l- lens of equity comes in, because we can pass a policy, but if it's inequitably implemented, once again, we go into feeding into these disparities, and that's one of the important things, so another example, just another quick example, is that, you know, here in the district we have this new great, um, you know, Healthy Schools Act, which is a wonderful effort to get at that high level of policy to really affect um, the health and wellness of not just the students but kind of the education system um, in general. But what we have to really look at when it comes to policy is, is this policy going to be um, equitably implemented If I go to Ward 3, if I go to Ward 7, is it going to be the same quality of lunch? So not just the nutritional aspects, but what do those lunches look like? Where are those lunches coming from? Are they locally sourced in one area versus being shipped somewhere else in another area? And and I think when it comes to education and policy and teachers and principals, that's what has to be done, and it has to start from kind of that that, that main office, the front office. Mm Mm-hmm. So thinking about policy on the ground and what it looks like, Wilson, you are a pioneer in many respects. And you, um, I think, I think I named a few of them, but you are an athlete in many sports. So, um, you know, so tell us about your favorite sport. What sports do you play? Um, Well, my favorite sport is lacrosse. I do look fast on, but you can't, you can only do it in the season. Um, when you can play um, lacrosse in um, fall and um, but I also I also do speed skating every um, on Saturdays and on the weekends during the fall and winter. I I really do enjoy that sport, uh, but um, it's I just like sports that you can do in more open areas and. More uh, more time in the year. So, how did you get into sports like speed skating? Uh, well, I went to um, ice camp at Fort Dupont for about four years, five years, and um, they had the they had uh, they had the speed skating team for anyone that wanted to join, because um, ice camp is a um, um, inline skating and ice skating camp. You inline skate in the morning and you ice skate in the in the evening. And um, so, at, at, after a few summers there, I got pretty good at skating. And coach, and since I was there so long, Coach Matt, um, the director of the camp, considered me one of his most experienced um, skaters. And he, so he he wanted me to join the um, ski skating team. 
which I did, lots of fun, and it's um, a great feeling when you're going so fast at a cold area. So, Wilson, talk about why sports and physical activity are important to you. Um, well, without physical activity, um, I think I would be bored most of the time. Not, oh, I could do mental things like reading books, playing board games and things. But I think my mind would still be bored because the connection between my mind and my body would be would be very thin and I would I would feel uh sluggish and not as I wouldn't have as much energy. And I walk to school um, pretty much every day and I need the energy to catch a train or catch a bus or or just be able to get somewhere at a certain time. And then what role does nutrition play for you, Wilson? You know, Autumn talked about seeing students coming into school with hot sausages for breakfast or chips for breakfast. Have you seen similar things in your classmates, and what role does nutrition play for you? Um, well, I've seen similar things at camp. Um, I go to Achieve summer camp um, at the Deanwood Station, and... Um, it's it's a free camp for um for um for kids in those areas trying to get into or um more physical activities and um getting them interested into triathlon. Um well one morning well, we do a lap or two uh, right when we get there and one kid while he was running he was eating a bag of funyuns and um I thought it was really stupid but um because going to get cramps. It's not healthy, and it's definitely not helping you run faster. And he was already slow. So the, um, and he, I, tr- I tried to get him to eat healthier throughout the camp, but it didn't, it didn't, because so it would it, um, help him, not, maybe not to help him lose much weight, but help it make it easier on his body he, um, to run and swim and bike. But, um, I have seen experiences like that, and also at my old school. Mhm. So, Autumn, how is health and wellness justice? So, in other words, how does public policy contribute to inequity, and how can policy help shape equitable remedies? Autumn, are you still there? Oh, sorry. Um, so that's a pretty loaded question. <laughs> so I'm going to see if I can, um, you know, kind of answer that in a, a nice logical way. So I see health and wellness as justice, um, you know, in a few ways. The first is that, you know, if everyone is um, to kind of realize the American dream, right, we have this whole idea of, you know, pulling pe- you know, people has to have to pull their, themselves up by their bootstraps and do all of these things. You know, there are certain um, rights and a certain foundation that everyone has to have to be able to do that, to realize, you know, kind of this American dream. And to be able to do that, you have to have a certain level of healthiness, right? You can't, let's say, be a millionaire. You can't be have your own business without being able to eat well, right, have access to quality education, to have access to resources, libraries, parks and recreation, 
And so for me, health and wellness is justice because I believe to be able to do anything great, you have to have that foundation. And so, um, you know, what we're the way that we are trying to frame it and the way that we're trying to do a better job at pulling people into public health is through this equity lens of, you know, how do you become a healthy how do you become a productive citizen without these inalienable rights which is a safe place to live right um good food to eat and quite often they bring and, you know and that's how this is related to your conversation is that education because quite often education is that um kind of leveling effect of regardless of where you come if you have a good quality education, you can kind of rise out of those circumstances. So for me, health and wellness is justice because um, you can't really achieve much without having those basic building blocks, and quite often that comes from, um, you know, clean air, having good food to eat, um, and being able to live somewhere that's safe and healthy. And so does that, I know that starts answering your question over the second piece. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, equity is an ongoing part of the uh, larger education discussion, and it is important to include health and wellness and equal access to green spaces for physical activity and nutritious foods as a huge part of of how we think of equity. Yeah, but, you know, and, and just to kind of pull into something that's very important is because, you know, quite often policies – Nowadays, well, we could we couldn't say that. Let's say fifty, sixty, seventy years ago, especially with the uh, the anniversary of the March on Washington this week. You know, now we can say that policies are not meant um, to kind of widen the gap between races or to um, increase inequality. But what happens quite often is because we're not thinking about equity, because we're not thinking about how some communities have been disinvested in for, you know. Um, decades, then we just think that if we just implement that policy, um, everything's going to happen the same way everywhere. And I think that is one of the reasons why um, we see these disparities continuing. We see the kind of injustice in some communities. We see the lack of access and increased barriers in some communities is because we're not having that equity focus in implementation, and I think that's important, and that goes across disciplines. So whether you're within education, whether you're within, you know, public health, um, parks and recreation, transportation, whatever your discipline is, is that we have to have that equity focus in implementation, and that's really what helps get rid of the disparities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, working or thinking about kind of breaking down tearing down those silo walls to make sure that we're all working together. Um, I think about litigation that I have worked on in years past that was a case in which the black community on the south side of Chicago really stood up to the railroad that was coming through their neighborhood and said, listen, our children are sick. They're getting sick with this huge you know, transportation hub that you've built in our community. They're getting sick. So when they when they're going to school, you know, they're not able to go to school as often and when they are going to school they are spending a lot of time in the nurse's office because they have asthma and other respiratory um things that are impacting their educational access. And so, you know, that litigation really connected the dots, I think, between environmental justice and social policy and education. And, you know, so I think, 
you're right that it's important that we connect those dots and break down those silo walls so that we are all thinking together about future planning of policy and practice that's going to really have an impact on communities. Yeah, and you know, and and one easy thing to really think, you know, to start getting people to think about kind of that equity lens when it comes to implementation is, you know, starting to look at something and saying, especially when we're talking about, you know, health and wellness, especially from a community aspect is, does this community, do they hold or experience, um, you know, an increased burden? You know, if you live in a community where not only do you have, you know, let's say the coal burning plant, you have a perfect example of this is the Kenilworth community here in Washington, D.C. If you think about that, if you think about that neighborhood and with the example that you gave about, you know, an increased train station, they're next to a Pepco plant. Um, They're next to a brownfield. Kenilworth Park was um, the city's dump for probably about 50 years. They're next to the Anacostia, which is one of the most polluted um, rivers in the country. Um, Their community is cut off from the rest of the city by um, 295, which came in, um, you know, in the 40s and 50s. And so when we think about policy or when we think about things, um, you know, looking at communities like that and thinking about, hmm, this community is experiencing and, you know, a desperate increase in the burdens. And most neighborhoods don't have that. And so that's kind of the start of looking at that equitable lens. So now when we look at policy, when we look at education, when we look at resources, how do we counteract that burden that that community lives in? And that's a way to really start to to think about equity um, in implementation of policy. So maybe, no, we shouldn't put a bus depot over there. Maybe we should put it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Wilson, Autumn mentioned that 2013 is a huge, a significant year for civil rights and the civil rights movement in this country. We are 150 years after the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation was signed by President Lincoln. We are 50 years after the March on Washington. How do you think that civil rights and health and wellness are connected? Um. Well, I think it has something to do with the um, equal um, sports sports facilities. Like um, I played at I played at Watkins um, when I was three, so that was 2004, playing soccer on the hill and, and things like that on the dirt, well, in the Mountaineers dirt, and the um, stubs of grass. I would randomly pop the ball in different directions. But um, I think in the last um, two or three years, they have gotten a new turf field with nice field goals and goal posts and um, a nice baseball field, as well um, as a um, roller hockey rink, an improved roller hockey rink, but in basketball court. Well, um, a while ago, when, when it was just dirt, a lot of people went over there and um, using their cleats and made the um, the field worse, along with people doing drugs and drinking on the um, on the field because there weren't any lights. Or the lights that were there, they were um, areas to hide where you could do these sorts of things. And I think they were kind of worried to see what would happen if they uh, made this field. But after it was improved, I think people really started to take care of it and use it for its purpose. Um, for um, 
athletic and um, social equality, um, as well as um, food and health and things, cleaning up nicer or healthier things in um, in, um, air, in certain areas, like on Fairlawn down the um, down the street. Um, that's a healthier market, better, more nutritious food. Um, um, but the yes, that was there before that. Great food. I think um, some of the a lot of the um, fruits and vegetables are from local farmers, but it, it was too expensive for um, to put it in this area. I kind I knew it wasn't wasn't going to survive even if it was five blocks from the other location. But Fairlawn's doing better, even though but their prices we're. We only go usually only go to McDonald's because it's cheaper and it's something to put in your stomach. And nah, I think that's not that's not right in terms of health and um athletics. Absolutely. So Autumn, what do you think? Every person should be entitled to clean air, clean water, clean food that nourishes their bodies instead of just is just something that's cheap and will fill their bellies. What do you say to those people who might claim that, well, they, those people don't want it. They don't want to be well. It's available, but they don't take advantage. Well, I mean, you know, so the, you know, I guess the first question I would have for them is, is it really available? Because quite often if those people um, came to the neighborhoods that, um, you know, quite often some of the most unhealthiest people in our country live in, they would see that it's not available. So I think, um, you know, that's kind of, that would be my first question um, to those people. And I guess a lot of it, and, you know, and this is, you know, this is kind of the question, and I'm so happy that public health is really starting to try and address this, is helping people to understand that it's not just you. It's not just what you do, but it's everything. It's where you move, how you move, where you live. You know, we and that's why we're kind of moving from saying social determinants of health. That's why you'll hear so many people say it's about where you live, work, and play, because that really does affect um, how you live. You know, and so that's quite often, you know, some of the things that we think about is, how do we get people to understand what these neighborhoods look like? Because it's so easy to kind of place blame on an individual. Um, because, um, But when you actually go to a neighborhood and you experience these things, um, then it helps kind of better um, develop your perspective and have a better understanding of not just individuals but groups of people. Because quite often in neighborhoods, people have similar behaviors. And why is that? It's because of their interaction with their social, physical, and natural environment, and that is what really forms our behavior. So if we can really get in early, um, you know, it's 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 great that you know in the country now we're starting to have more of a conversation about zero to five education because quite often those first three years are where. You know, it's so funny, everything develops. So, you know, what you like to eat or your tendencies and how you move and how you interact with people and how you communicate. And so that is one great way. If we can do that right when it comes to equity and policy and equity and and implementation, we can really start to change um, the way that people not only learn in this country but how we really start to develop kind of whole, well-rounded children um, starting from the, the first phase. So quite often... 
people that argue with kind of this perspective, you know, my first question is, have you ever been to that neighborhood? It's very easy for you um, to say that you could do something when you live in a neighborhood with with wonderful access to everything to help you be healthy. Um, so that's kind of where I start. I don't necessarily, it doesn't always work, um, but it is a good conversation starter for people to kind of get away once again from that victim blaming um, to really starting to look at how we interact with our world and how that really develops, um, you know, all of our behaviors, not just our health behaviors. And Autumn, you talked about disinvestment in communities. When you think about disinvestment versus selective investment, what do you say to parents and communities who want, you know, there are plenty of vending machines with sugary snacks in our schools. What do you say to parents and communities who want to get sugar out of their schools? How do they demand also green spaces and access to physical activity? Well, I I, I would have to say to parents is that, you know, parents are children's first teachers, period. And so quite often, you know, every, you know, when you do research, especially when it comes to physical activity and health behaviors, um, you know, there's all these like small mediating effects. You know, this could this could happen here and that could happen there, and then maybe someone will be active. But the one thing that is very consistent when it comes to young adults' physical activity, especially minority um, and especially young black girls, is witnessing their parents be physically active. And so, you know, what's most important when we're talking about, um, you know, affecting behavior and helping your children kind of deal better with their environment is parents are the first teacher. So we can say we want junk food out of the schools, but if kids are seeing their parents eating that, if kids are seeing that this is what their parents have or that's what's in the house, the junk food can be in the school or not in the school. It's still going to happen. And that's, you know, and that's kind of that um that's kind of one some of the issues that we have with those policies because it's great in the school, but what we have to do is really connect the dots. So we can't just laser focus on the school and then the rest of the community reinforces these bad behaviors. And I think that's one of the problems when it comes to kind of this healthy school movement. Oh, let's get no cupcakes for birthdays and, you know, vending machines are locked until 5. And then we pay absolutely no attention to the corner stores that the kids pass on the way to school. Or we pay absolutely no attention to helping the parents learn how to eat better or help the parents learn how to cook better or even learn how to go to the grocery store and shop and plan and those things. Um, So, you know, it's great that the vending machines are locked down, but I think that's, um, you know, one of the problems that we have here in this country is that we laser focus on one thing and not look at the entire community. So the kids can't get chips from 8 to 3, but they get them before 8 as they're walking to school, and they can get them after 3 as they're walking home. Wilson, the First Lady, Michelle Obama, has her Let's Move campaign where she's trying to get kids to move more and to be more healthy and aware of the things that they are putting into their bodies. What do you think the kids should know? What What should kids know about health and wellness, and what should they be doing? Um, before I answer your question, I've, I've heard of the Let's Move thing, but I, I have no idea where it is. Like, I've seen the commercials and things, but I've, um, it's, it, it looks kind of like they found this random symbol and bought paid kids to be there. Um, I, I have no, I have no idea. I don't know anyone or, 
or read anything about where or how I can get access to this Let's Move thing. And I'm also, um, Nick Lodi has Let's Go thing or Play 60, all those other programs, which I've also have heard anything about. Well, it's Um, can you repeat the question, please? I'm just wondering what you would tell kids to do. So from a movement activist perspective, since that's where we are right now, we're thinking about 50 years after the March on Washington, part of the civil rights movement, what would you say to kids about being activists for health and wellness? First, I would say just put yourself out there. You're not, you're not going to notice to do anything interesting if you're sitting in your room thinking about, oh, how I really want to do... Um, be in a velodrome or um, do ski jumping or something. You, you have to go and really put some effort into what what you're doing. Even if it does mean embarrassment or um, making a fool of yourself, next time you'll know what to do. And you'll, that doesn't, it doesn't really make it stronger. Um, and, and if I could just add to that, I'm sorry. I mean, that's a wonderful, that's, you know, that's something that's really great. Just put yourself out there. You know, you, you can't do any worse than sitting there and kind of watching people. But I think once again, Allison, that goes into kind of the access because quite often, you know, with the elimination of physical acti- physical education first and foremost in our education system, it prevents kids from having, once again, that foundation of motor skills, that foundation or the exposure to different sports. I mean, think about physical education when you were younger. You got to try all different types of sports so you knew what you were interested in and what you were not interested. And quite often that, once again, lays that foundation of, ooh, I don't like basketball. Ooh, I love football. Let me go there. And so, you know, I just wanted to to kind of throw in that access because, you know, luckily, um, you know, Wilson has had this, access these these opportunities to learn um, what you like and what you don't. And that's another thing that we really have to realize for people to be active, for communities to be active, is that exposure and that access. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. Very good point. Wilson, what else would you say to students, to kids? Um, well, if, if, you're, if you're really interested in this sport, um, Google it. Um, look at um, ways that you can improve your, get improved in the sport. And if it doesn't cost a decent amount of money, then you should um, um, tell your parents about what you're trying to do or what you're interested in doing. And see if you can do a bake sale or um, yard sales. Um, and make some money to go towards your dream. And if it's still not accessible to you, like if you want to learn how to ski and Almost, and he lives in Florida. Um, you, you may be out of luck, but there are other ways you can do the, the other sports that are similar. You could get into um um uh, what's it called that hill skiing or on inline skates, which you can do all around the country on um, streets and roads. And sometimes you can, for if you're trying to get into rowing. And you live in a landlocked um, state, so there's not a lot of water. You could sometimes you could take a vacation just to go and try out this um, this sport that you're so interested in. Yes, and I will have to say, uh, going you know, following up on Wilson, is that 
there are so many free opportunities of exposure, you know, to expose kids. You know, we have First Tee, um, and, you know, we have about four or five um, golf courses in the city um, that offer free lessons to youth. Um, you know, if you go to the Anacostia Boathouse, you can you can try rowing and canoeing and camping for free. And so quite often, um, I guess, to kind of, uh, counterbalance the elimination of physical education in, the, in these sports and opportunities in the schools. We have a lot of nonprofits, a lot of other people in the city trying to help with that exposure. Um, and, you know, what Wilson said, Googling it is a perfect way of kind of trying to at least get get the access and get the um, exposure for young people because quite often some of those free programs um, are what pops up first. And I, I will just um, chime in here and say, you know, I think it's important that that parents know that they can organize with their educators to bring back physical education and arts programming. Uh, we're seeing this happening more and more in schools. Uh, you know, I, I talk often about Ashawn Johnson, who is the nine-year-old activist out of Chicago, um, who's really been thrust into the limelight and has taken that and run with it in a in a really beautiful way, that platform. Um, and, you know, he has been, you know, part of his message is, you know, you're, you are closing schools and removing physical education, which is exactly what we need in school. Um, and educators are often in positions of, of um, kind of being in the middle, so they are not approached by parents or others who are, are working these channels and really pressuring legislators, but educators can be a huge resource for parents who are wanting to lobby to bring physical education back into their schools, and, and that's really a great way um, to pressure the lawmakers and the, the money folks who are controlling the purse strings and, and determining what, what programs are being cut without any input from parents or educators. So I would I would certainly advise parents to, to look to their educators to, to help them with that pressure. I want to thank both of my guests. Dr. Autumn Sexton-Ross is the Director for the Place Matters Initiative at the Center for Political and Economic Studies here in D.C. You can go to their website and check out um, more information, jointcenter.org. Wilson is 12 years old. He's a student. He's a triathlete. He's a lacrosse. He's a fencer, a speed skater, a former soccer player. He's a lot of, of different things, and he has taken to the glass. Um, very seriously in his um, his development. Um, Wilson, I want to say good luck to you with, with school starting school. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. And Dr. Saxon Ross, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And the audience, you are now officially certified know-it-alls about health and wellness and justice. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook. And read my blog at Allison Brown Consulting. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. 
So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.